Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. All right, welcome to the Cyber24 Podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions to keep your organization safe. My name is Marty Carpenter of 24.9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. And in this week's episode, we focus on the cultural needs of tech businesses with Helen Horstman Allen, the COO of a company called Fastmail. And we had a great conversation ranging from changes she's seen in the process of recruiting talent for an international tech business in the post-COVID era to competing with tech giants for talent and advice she has for small to mid-sized tech companies looking to land talent in 2023. I think it actually applies across the board in many ways to anybody looking to hire and add to their team. Great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. All right, Helen, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional background, and tell us a little bit about FastMail, if you would. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Marty. Um, Right. So I'm Helen Horseman-Allen. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at FastMail. um, And I've been in the email business for 25 years. I uh, got involved with my first company, PO-Box.com, when I was still in college, Um, worked there for 20 years, and uh, got acquired by FastMail in 2015 and have been kind of growing and guiding and now leading the team since then. Um, FastMail, for your listeners, is kind of a Gmail alternative for people who care about their privacy and who are interested in spending and saving time, right? Like we didn't get into privacy per se because of a huge passion for um, encryption or any of those things. It was about providing a great service for customers, right? And in the same way that, you know, you've got to be focused on saving people time, right? Making their lives and their days simpler, making their email experience simpler. Like for us, it was a no brainer to say, you own your own data. We shouldn't be monetizing your data or your behavior against you. And so privacy just kind of came along part and parcel. But when we think about how we build the product, it's really around providing that great experience and giving people a a faster, smoother, easier time with their email and their calendar which is a place a lot of us spend a lot of our time and wish could be a lot easier than it is. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. And going through that process of being, uh, was it a purchase? Was it a, a merger? How did the partnership come together? I'm always interested in how these things come about. I I can understand why, um, you know, when you run a business for 20 years, you get to have plenty of people approach you and lots of people where you're like, wow, I definitely wouldn't want to sell my business to you. Um, the fast mail acquisition, they they bought my company came about because, you know, the email space isn't that big. I had known about them for a long time and we met them at a conference. And so my uh, technical head was there and he met them and he said, you know, not only were they like really interesting and cool and whatever, they use the same technology stack that we do. Like, I think we should see if this is going to go somewhere. Um, And, you know, it, it it did go somewhere. Uh, but even after the purchase, you know, you never quite know how these things are going to go. Right. And so I definitely went into it with 
well, you know, this is, this will be a, a transitional period. I'll hand the business over and then I'm done. And then, you know, you meet some people and you're like, actually, this is all really fun. It's really fun to solve these problems with people who have that same kind of perspective. And um, so, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, I was really fortunate to get kind of a second lease on a problem space I knew very well because of getting involved with the right people, of people who had the same interests, same technology skills. And um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the the dream scenario when you sell your business in a lot of yeah. ways. But I do find that conversation very interesting. And I've, I've since then coached a lot of people through those conversations because they can be hard and, and yeah. you don't always have somebody who you can ask the really direct questions to. And I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but you mentioned that you started the business while you were still in college. How did you sort of come up with the idea and what was your initial approach? Or, uh, you know, you say it sort of evolved into some security issues, but uh, how, how did you, what did you start with as the idea and, and how did you launch that while still in college? Uh, so my, t- my technical partner was really the uh, one who came up with the idea of, you know, back then it was like, well, what will happen uh, if I put my email address on my resume? Right. And so, we all had school addresses. And he said, once we graduate, these are going to stop working, right? I need an address that will outlast my relationship with the school, with a business, with an ISP, whatever. You know, nowadays with Hotmail and Gmail, you, you might not think of the idea of an email address going bad, but certainly back in 1995, that did happen. Um, and so he kind of like built the technology, but didn't necessarily know what to do next. And I actually got involved because... Um, he needed help keeping track of who had paid Be- people who had just sent in checks. He hadn't even billed them yet. And it kind of, it grew from there. Yeah. It's amazing how those things start. I always find it fascinating. And I know our audience loves, uh, we hear that sometimes when we start talking about someone with their company, if we jump right into the actual topic of the day and don't go dive into, wait, that was really interesting. How did that company come about? Then we hear about it from our, our listeners. So thanks for taking us uh, through sort of that process with you. Um, I wonder how... How has recruiting for international technology businesses changed in the post-COVID era? So, you know, I think it's been really interesting, right? The last couple of years have been this period of huge change, right? And um, But change at different speeds in different places, right? So we've gotten to see how... What we're seeing in the U.S. doesn't necessarily match up with what we're seeing in recruiting in other places. And so it's really hard, you know, for you to be able to say, well, you know, things here are good now. um, But, you know, in another place, they might be going off the rails. Right. And so we've definitely had to extend our timelines. Right. Be more flexible. And, you know, and I think the other thing is every business has had a reason to think about what really matters to them. And, and every person has too, right? And so we've seen this period of people saying, this, this used to be a deal breaker and it isn't anymore or vice versa. You know, I used to be fine with saying I was going to start my day at this very specific time and now I need you to flex with me. So navigating that can be challenging just in your your home location, right? Where you have direct feedback, where you have more context, et cetera. In international settings, you know, we've certainly found ourselves uh, talking to more recruiters, talking to more people who can kind of give us that feedback and that guidance about what they're hearing on the ground because, because you need it, right? You can't just assume that what you knew even six months ago is still good. 
Yeah. It's been sort of a major shift when it comes to what the workforce is looking for. And there've been shifts in sort of what's in demand and what's not in demand. And there's an evolution to all of that. What have been some of the major recruiting challenges and are they similar in a an international technology business as they are uh, across all industries? Is there some overlap, but some things that are particularly distinctive to that industry? Certainly. I mean, the first most obvious thing is, of course, this, where is everyone going to work? And in a lot of ways, businesses with international teams uh, were almost the best place for this because I'm used to working with people who are not co-located with me. I'm used to working with people who I can't even get like through most of my workday. So it was a lot easier for us to flex and say, hybrid is fine, right? Like uh, working remote is fine. Um, But what that means is different in different places, right? Like I think my U.S. staff is much more inclined to say, oh, I'll just work late. And I have to be like, please don't. Like, please, please try and contain your work to a normal work day. I don't want working at home to mean you work around the clock. Um, In other places, you know, in our Australian team, we've had to be much more specific about saying, like, these are the days when we try to meet up in person because the schedule starts to move so quickly. I think we've had more open conversations where people say much more directly, like, these are the things I need now. These are the things that matter to me. And also much more directly, like when we propose a change, uh, you know, we proposed some changes for our staff in India. They're like, please don't. Those are the, those things are not important to us. That's not the kind of flexibility we're looking for. Um, I don't know how many businesses have significantly changed their pay rates in the last year, but certainly it was something we did relatively early. And I think that actually was a huge benefit for us. Like it meant we kind of put our money where our mouth was right up front. And I think it, it engendered a lot of trust in our team. Um, when there's a period of change, it's not just, right. It's not just you who's experienced the change. It's not just you as the business, it's your whole team. And so knowing that you've got their back, makes the makes all the discussions i think that happen after that a lot easier. Yeah. One of those things that might be i would think a little more uh, important or top of mind for people you're uh, trying to recruit or deal with in in this particular industry is this idea of being a good digital citizen. I think that's something that your company has has expressed pride in in being a good digital citizen. So to you what does that actually mean and how does that impact the way you recruit talent? you're definitely right. This is, this is a huge impact for us at how we talk about our work, how we talk to our customers and how we talk to prospective staff. You know, I think for me, um, being a good digital citizen is really about like doing your part to leave the world a little bit better than you found it. Right. And I think we kind of understand the idea of citizenship in our regular world. Uh, but digital citizenship is something that's interesting, right? Because it's this space that we've kind of built collectively, but maybe independently and don't necessarily think about what that means or why. For us, you know, our privacy stance was a big part of it. But the other thing we do a lot of work around is standards, right? So um, international standards impact things we use every day, right? Our electricity system is built around international standards. Our road systems are built around national standards. Um, And 
the communication tools that we use the most, right? A telephone number, an email address, like those are things that stick with you for a long, 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 long time, right? I still have the email address I had in 1995. I wow. certainly don't That's have impressive. my uh, AOL instant messenger handle, right? I don't have my prodigy username. Like those things have gone by the wayside. And one of the reasons that email addresses stick around is because they are standards and you and they work for everybody. Um, I think for us, that was something that was meaningful and certainly something that now drives a lot of our work as we go beyond having just written the standards, trying to get people to implement them and trying to reach out to the broader ecosystem around uh, email and calendars. But that's for us, right? Like that's um, that's how we've decided to put our our effort forward around digital citizenship. And I think um, we talk a lot about how that could look different for different people, different companies, different places. And I think it's it's really definitely worth um, investing in. That being said, uh, it is certainly something that helps us talk to prospective staff, right? It's like, well, why would I do this? Why does this matter? And it's like, well, okay, this is this is something that matters to us. What matters to you? Um, how are the places that we can help move you along your own path, right? And I think in the same way that we've invested in open standards, I think we believe in investing in our team because you know, all of us are working in spheres that are not necessarily straightforward or self-explanatory, right? And so the time and effort you put into somebody, helping bring them up, helping them understand the field you're in, um, right? You, you want to have that that investment kind of come full circle for yourself too. So this has been an easy kind of um, way to present our work in a slightly more approachable fashion than let me talk to you about RFC too, right? <laughs> Using Microsoft 365 for your business productivity tools certainly has many advantages. Easy, user-friendly accessibility from anywhere at any time, simplified email access, and reduced costs of business operations and management. However, the migration and use of Microsoft 365 isn't without security risks. Barracuda Essentials provides the industry's most comprehensive security and data protection solution for Microsoft 365. With Barracuda, you can stop spam, viruses, prevent data loss, and turn employees into a line of defense against phishing attacks. For peace of mind, learn more about Barracuda Essentials for Microsoft 365 at vlcmtech.com. That's vlcmtech.com. The demand has never been greater for business owners and IT professionals to invest in intelligent security camera systems. At the intersection of physical security and cybersecurity, an increasing number of organizations struggle to take a proactive approach to surveillance. Verkata's all-in-one physical security platform makes this decision easy with features like plug-and-play installation, centralized management, secure remote access to cameras, and smart features and alerts. Smarter security starts with Verkata. Learn more at vlcmtech.com slash Verkata. That's vlcmtech.com slash V-E-R-K-A-D-A. The hiring process and finding the right talent has become such an interesting field over the last really two years, but particularly in the last um, six months or so, because it's almost as if 
Um, and every, the, despite the fact that everyone is essentially a free agent and can leave their job for the most part, I guess there are some contractual obligations in some situations that may be the exception. But for the most part, everyone's a free agent and can just go find another job whenever they want to find another job. But that movement has always sort of been marginal, right? Like a certain part of the workforce is in flux. And and it feels like over the last six months or so, there were enough people that just said, yeah, this isn't working for me. And I'm either out for a while, out for good, or on the hunt and looking. And it sort of like resets every company is suddenly, um, it spikes competition, right? Everyone is suddenly out to either retain or go get new talent because they've had openings or because they needed to grow anyway. And, but it's not, it's not marginal. It's not a, a percentage of your workforce, or if it is a percentage, it's a much larger uh, percentage. Do you have a hard time finding talent when competing with large technology companies? No. And I think that that's intentional because I, I think people who have worked at large technology companies either love it or they hate it. And if they hate it, right, like I am kind of their ideal workplace. Um, but the other thing I would say is there's lots of reasons that employees choose companies, right? And now more than ever, candidates are thinking about more than the brand name, right? Like what name is on my business card is very low value compared to what's the day-to-day experience of working there. And, you know, it's, it's, you think about the big technology companies, like what was in many ways, the big draws they used to talk about, you know, the campus, the perks of going to the office, and also the very, very, very long work days of being there. Mm-hmm. Right. And now people are saying like, what's, what's the point? Like, why am I spending 60, 70 hours a week somewhere else, you know, working for this behemoth, uh, you know, what is the life experience I want? You know, where do I want to be? How do I want to be spending my time? Who do I want to be spending it with? What do I want to be doing with it? Right. And so saying that that's more than, um, you know, a reputation you can bank on, I, I think it has never really been a problem for us and maybe even less so now. I think the other thing is like every time there's kind of a huge shakeup. It's like, well, what kind of security am I being offered by this large entity, right? And the idea that you work somewhere for 20 years is, my own experience aside, (laughs) not really a thing anymore, right? Um, And so I think the idea that what your day-to-day experience looks like um, becomes more important. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it's painting with a a super broad brush, but the idea or the, the general impression was always, now, tech workers are young, and so they want to go to a campus and be around folks, and they liked things like sleep pods or cafeterias that had free food. But I, I always wondered, even when that was sort of the en vogue uh, amenity to to offer, at what point do you realize, A, uh, these are obviously things that are meant to keep me here, <laughs> keep me working. Right. And and like at some point, do you, do you start to be resentful of that? And I don't know if that's you know been a trend. Um, and then just be like, if you, if you take one of those jobs when you're fresh out of college and you work at, you know, Google, Facebook, whatever, one of these big companies that you would think of in this sense, and suddenly you are 30 and maybe you're married or maybe you've had a, had a child, um, you know, your priorities start to shift and suddenly it's, no, I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. I, I now want to do my job and do it really well, but I don't necessarily want to make it 
my entire life. There's that natural evolution from living to work instead of working to live. So I've always just wondered how that plays. And do you think that that's, the, are either of those part of that trend? Do you think just sort of the the aging of uh, the, the tech workforce to, to some extent, or just sort of realizing, hey, there's not that much, this isn't as cool as I thought it was. I, I'm looking for different benefits now. You know, I, I think that, both of those things uh, can be and, and probably are true. And certainly when I think about um, the younger people on, on my team, it's not so much that they're looking for uh, work to be their life. It's that they're looking for those uh, those opportunities and those abilities to skill up, right? And so I think even if you do have a young team or you're trying to recruit a young team, like those are really the things to focus on. What are the opportunities you're providing? How are you helping them grow their skills? What kind of mentors are you making available to them? Because, right, it doesn't matter. Like the, Mm -hmm. the amenities, the food, all those things weren't hopefully ever really the driver, right? It was the opportunities and, and those opportunities you really only have to be deliberate about offering rather than have this massive budget, yeah. right? Um, I'll wrap up with you with this question. What advice do you have for a small to say mid-sized technology company thinking about recruiting uh, for 2023, for example? I mean, what I would say is learning how to talk about yourself, learning how to talk about your company is a skill. And I would say my experience as a product director here kind of directly translates. And by that, what I'll say is I'm able to embrace that my perspective is not the same as my customers, who in this case are my candidates, right? Like how I think about my company isn't necessarily the story I need to be telling them. Um, So if you aren't sure if you're telling the right story, don't just wing it. Don't just like make up something new. Talk to your new hires. Talk to your recent staff. Let them tell you what's notable about working for you, right? They've almost definitely worked somewhere more recently than you have. So they have fresh eyes and they can help you see yourself in a new way. And that will help you refine the story you want to be telling. Um, Whether that's rewriting your roles, especially if you've been using the same old ones for years, or just how you talk about it when you meet a candidate. Like, I think candidates today are much more interested in asking questions too and and hearing about your experience and knowing how to talk about it can be the thing that seals the deal. Yeah. Uh, if people want to know more about Fastmail, how do they how do they find you? Come check us out at fastmail.com and you know, you can find uh, information about me there also and please reach out if you have questions or if I can help. All right. Helen Horseman Allen, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate your insight. Thank you, Marty. That'll do it for this episode. I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Ken C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and our friends at Secuvant. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can hit us up on Facebook as well. We want to hear from you in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week and stay safe online.